If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. Brian McClanahan Show, episode 469. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Or look for at Brian McClanahan. You'll find them all that way, too. You can support the show by going to McClanahan Academy. Learn true T-R-U-E history. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, where I teach with Tom and a lot of other great instructors. Of course, you can also go to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on the support tab. Buy one of my books. I've got seven of those. My most recent, The Jeffersonian Tradition, is fantastic. If you get it and you like it, leave a review at Amazon. I know a lot of people left reviews of Southern Scribblings. Not so many on Jeffersonian Tradition yet. So leave a review on Amazon. Let people know you're reading it and you like it. You can also click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Lots of great ways to support the show, right? I mean, this is this is what we need to do. If you And again, if you like the show, share it around on social media. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Obviously, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin is thinking locally and acting locally now. At least he's telling people to do it. We've got American greatness talking about federalism. We've got all these people now waking up to the reality that local government is the way forward and federalism is the real deal in America. We have a federal republic by structure. In this particular episode, we're going to talk about that because now we have, and I I already did a show on H.R. 1, which has now been defeated. It's not going anywhere. It's been defeated by a filibuster. It doesn't mean that it it can't be resurrected at some time. We know it can because the progressives are relentless in trying to get what they want. But we know the Congress, the House of Representatives, passed H.R. 1, which was designed to federalize elections. That was the whole point. Now, you could say, well, you know, it's not going to federalize all elections. It was going to make it to where state, state elections are a whole other thing. No, 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 no. Once you do this for the federal elections, then it's going to be challenging court that the state elections didn't comply with federal election mandates, and it's all over. They're going to federalize elections, or at least that's the attempt from the Democrats. And why do they want to do that? Why do they want to federalize elections? Well, the, the drive is clear. It's to ensure that they win every single election where they think they have even a slim chance of doing it, right? Because if they can legalize voting irregularities, which are things like photocopied ballots, if that allegedly happened, or uh, where they can legalize, you know, no ID to vote, where you need an ID for just about anything else, they can do that. They can, they can legalize ballot harvesting, which, of course, is already legal in some places, but... They can make this nationwide. If they can essentially institutionalize cheating, then they win. And they win. We can have election months rather than election day. What does that do? Think about this in the dangers of having long, ongoing election cycles. So let's say the election is held in November of 2022, which it is. 
And we have a situation where the Democrats get what they want, and you can start voting uh, not by mail-in ballot because you're absentee. So let's say you live in, I don't know, pick your state. You live in Massachusetts, right? You've, you've uh, moved to New York for a time. And you've lived there for a couple of years uh, on business, and you know you're going to be out of the state. And so, uh, you know, business, you're, you're not there on election day. So you get your absentee ballot. And you, that's okay. I mean, you're not going to be there, right? But let's say we make elections two months, three months long. What happens if, and this is worst case scenario, but we're at 2024 and Joe Biden's running again and the election's in November of 2024 and here we are and it's August of 2024 and Joe Biden, who is going to be in his 80s at that point, has a health crisis and something bad happens to Joe Biden and he's incapacitated. But you've already voted for Joe Biden. Joe Biden, though, can't, can't run. I mean, he, he can't be president. So then what do you do? Well, you can say, well, the Electoral College gets to pick somebody anyways because that's the system of the Electoral College. This is true. There is an out for the president. The Electoral College then could select somebody else. The Electoral College can pick, in reality, whoever they want. The problem with the Electoral College is the states have ratcheted this down so much that they have to pick the person who gets a popular vote. So what happens if Joe Biden wins the popular vote, but he can't be president? Then what do you do? Well, clearly, we didn't vote for Kamala Harris, so we voted for Joe Biden. So they would have to pick somebody else, right? So then you've created this, this other situation. But let's just say we're talking about uh, a member of the House, right? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, something happens, and uh, she can't be in the House for whatever reason. Maybe it's a medical reason, a personal reason, whatever it is, she can't serve. Or take your pick of the person in your state. You know, it's a conservative person. Let's say it's Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, right? He wants to, he's running, and something happens in 2022, and he can't do it. So does the election automatically go to the person that became that came in second? And you've got all these people that voted for that person now, and those votes are all invalid. This is why you need an election day. Who is on the ballot at the day you go in there? They're healthy. They're ready to go. They can be in that office. You don't want to have this running out for three and four months because we just want to make sure we get all these people voting. What is that? You have an election day. People set aside the time. I mean, look, I could say that on election day, maybe there should be uh, at the state level. You should say, hey, let's have election day and people get off work this day so they can go and they can vote. We make sure that people go and they vote. And you make polling places convenient. You have polling places where people can get to the polls, right? Look, I'm all for that, okay? Mail-in balloting, though, is problematic because it allows for ballot harvesting and cheating. And you, you should have to show an ID when you go to vote to show that just one person, one vote. Look, before we had the secret ballot and you wanted to go vote, you had to walk up and say, I support this person. They knew who you were. And they wrote down here, Joe Smith says they're voting for Joe Biden. Joe Smith says they're voting for Donald Trump. And it's you said it out loud. There was no secret ballot. You said, this is who I'm supporting and this is who I am. Everybody knows me because I'm from this town and this is what I'm doing. Or I'm from this community. I'm from this county, whatever it is. People know me. So... We've gone now to a situation where it allows for tremendous amounts of cheating. This is why the Democrats want H.R. 1. This is why the senators or the Democrats are whining over the filibuster, which, of course, is pointed out they've used a lot of times as well. I mean, this is, an, oh, well, wait, uh, Amy Klobuchar, you don't betcha we should get, don't you know, we should get rid of the filibuster. Don't you know? Um, why? The filibuster is actually working. It's working as intended to block idiotic 
stupid legislation. She gets up there and says, you know, the filibuster, we, we can't pass climate change agenda. We can't pass climate change legislation. What an odd endorsement of the filibuster, right? We can't get this H or we can't get this voting rights up. What an odd endorsement of the filibuster. Because it's not about voting rights. It's about voting corruption. We can't get corruption legislation passed. Unconstitutional corruption legislation, by the way. So now the Democrats couldn't get it through the legislative branch. They've resorted to their old tactic, the only way they can get anything done, because you see, in reality, when the Democrats try to work the legislature, they never get anything done. Why? Because the general public doesn't want their stupid nonsense. The majority of the American public across the states, now you could say maybe in California they want this, but I don't even know if that's always the case. We know in California, for example, the people of California made affirmative action illegal. But, of course... Because they want to get their way, they're going to try to force it from the federal level and use the courts to knock that down. See, this is what they resort to. It comes down to the courts. Because, you see, the legislatures of the states can't be trusted to be the voice of the people. we got to make sure the court system now becomes the final legislative branch in America. So what is the de- what are the Democrats doing? Well, after they failed with H.R. 1, they took it to the Justice Department. We're just going to sue the state of Georgia, tie this thing up, and so they can never implement the law. That's the whole point. Now, here's what's going to happen. I predict this is what's going to happen with this. Georgia's getting sued, and I'm going to read the article on it in a minute. I'm going to talk about where the whole basis of the Democrats is faulty from an originalist position. But Georgia's getting sued. That's going to be fast-tracked because we have an election less than a year, a little, I say less, a a little over a year away. The campaign season is going to fire up. It already has. I mean, we're already starting to talk about campaigning for 2022. We've got, uh, I think it's Warnock is on the ballot in 2022 in the state of Georgia. So uh, the Democrats are afraid they're going to lose that Senate seat. And they probably will if they can't, if they can't cheat. Okay. So uh, they're already revving up here. You got Stacey Abrams out there running around saying we need to, you know, she, we've got, she's got her sister on the federal court. So what's going to happen, I think, is that this is going to go all the way to Supreme Court. It's it, I don't know where, they're, where the Democrats are going to win or lose or if they ever win at any level, but it's going to make it to the Supreme Court, and I firmly believe the Supreme Court will knock down the challenge. In fact, I think what could happen out of that, looking at the court composition, is that they could come down, and I think it's going to be a 5-4, to four, not a 6-3, to three, but a 5-4. to four. I think they're going to come down in favor of voter ID, right? So states are going to pass large... Many states are going to get voter ID across the United States after this. And then at that point, the Democrats are going to rev up their calls again for packing the Supreme Court. It's going to give them the intellectual ammunition they need to rally their base around packing the Supreme Court because you see what the Supreme Court has just done is violate democracy. In reality, what the Supreme Court has done is upheld democracy. It's upheld the original Constitution. It's upheld the Federal Republic. It's upheld the will of the people of Georgia, the state of Georgia, and their legislature under their constitutional rights to do exactly what they're doing. It's upheld originalism if it does that. Okay, But you see, what the Biden administration is going to do is challenge this based on a faulty reading of the 15th Amendment and, of course, the Civil Rights Act's violations. The Voting Rights Act, 1965. This is what they're going to go after. This is how they're going after Georgia. This is somehow race-driven. 
Of course it's not, because it doesn't matter who you are, you have to show an ID. No, nobody gets out of that. I mean, just because I'm a Republican, if I'm in Georgia, doesn't mean I don't have to show an ID, but the Democrat does, or vice versa. It's, it doesn't have to do anything to do with race, or sex, or age. Everybody's got to show an ID to vote. And there's all kinds of, I mean, look, if you look at the law itself, and there was a video I watched on this um, on YouTube. I can't remember the guy, but did a really good job of going through every little part of the bill um, with the text. But if you look at the provisions of this um, and how it's, how it's explained in the language, you don't even have to have an ID. You can just put the last four of your Social Security number on there. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to get around this, all kinds of other government issues. There can be anything, practically, to show that who you are in casting a, a vote. And Georgia didn't really restrict. They restricted the number of drop boxes that you could have for security reasons. Even Democrats. Jimmy Carter at one point said that mail-in voting is a recipe for fraud, right? So we want to get rid of that. But now the Democrats are firmly on board because they know this is how they can win. They, they know, look, in 2020, if we have a real election in 2020 and not a COVID election, they don't win. Joe Biden's not sitting in Pennsylvania Avenue. Donald Trump is still sitting there. They don't win in 2020 without a COVID election because of all the mail-in ballots. They just don't win. The Trump supporters got out in record numbers at the I mean, on voting day. They win the election in a landslide if it was not for COVID voting changes. We know this. They know this. So they're trying to make those changes permanent so they can ensure they can they can have the same type of cheating success in future elections. But it would be legal, right? I mean, so it's, it's not cheating then. It's just they've changed the rules to make it to where it's easier for them to have uh, access to the ballot um, in ways that can lead to fraud, okay? Allegedly. We'll say that, allegedly. Now, Breitbart again. I talked about a Breitbart a little piece yesterday. Breitbart. The Justice Department is suing Georgia over the state's voting laws, a person familiar with the matter said Friday. This is June 25th. The announcement was made later Friday by Attorney General Merrick Garland. It comes, I thought Merrick Garland was supposed to be Supreme Court Justice. Um, I thought, just like, they should list his title, Supreme Court Justice Merrick Garland, acting as Attorney General, and then also Stacey Abrams, Governor Stacey Abrams, acting as private citizen. This is how it should be listed. It comes two weeks after Garland said the Justice Department would scrutinize a wave of new laws in Republican-controlled states that tighten voting rules. He pledged to take action if prosecutors found unlawful activity. The person was not authorized to discuss the matter publicly before the official announcement and spoke on condition of anonymity. The move also comes as pressure grows on the Biden administration to respond to GOP-backed laws being pushed in the states this year. An effort to overhaul election laws was blocked this week by Republican senators. As of mid-May, 22 restrictive laws have passed at least 14 states, according to the Brennan Center for Justice. Right, really not justice. It's Brennan Center for Progressive Ideology, which researches, which researches voting and supports expanded access. The increased enforcement of voting rights laws also signals that Biden and Assistant General, Attorney General Kristen Clark, who's one of the nation's leading civil rights attorneys before her nomination to lead the Department's Civil Rights Division, are making good on a promise to refocus the department around civil rights after a tumultuous four years during the Trump administration. While much of the more controversial aspects of Georgia's new voting laws were dropped before it was passed, it is notable in its scope for a newly expansive powers granted to the state over local election offices. 
Under the bill, the GOP-dominated legislature gave itself greater influence over a state board that regulates elections and empowered the board to move, remove local election officials deemed to be underperforming. Well, first of all, the states can do this. The, the local is the corporate entity of the state. This isn't, I mean, this is how these things work. The state has control over its election laws, not, not the cities, not the counties. The state does. They have final say in all of this stuff. That's how federalism works. That has raised concerns that the state board can intervene in the operations of Democratic-run county election offices in Metro Atlanta, the state's Democratic power center. The bill also adds a voter ID requirement for mail ballots and will result in fewer ballot drop boxes in Metro Atlanta. Right? So, oh my gosh, that's because of all the, all the minority people that live in Atlanta. Well, I mean, this is, this is racist. So this is, this is where they're going to go after this. Now, the idea of federal control of state, of state ele- or elections in general was something that was discussed quite often in the, uh, in the Philadelphia Convention and in the ratification debates. But more importantly, the ratification debates. And I bring that up because if the people of the states believed that the general election was going to be able to interfere in federal elections, the general government, I should say, was going to be able to interfere in federal elections and supersede the states, the Constitution would not have been ratified. The Constitution would not have been ratified. And we know this because even Hamilton spilled a considerable amount of ink defending a portion of the Constitution that allowed for the general government to interfere in elections. Now, let's talk about that part of the Constitution. And I'm going to go back to Federalist number 59. Now, here's the thing. If you take my Originalist Papers courses, I go into this in much more detail. Okay? Uh, This is part of Part 3. You're getting a little preview right here of how I do some things in this Originalist Papers class. Part 3 covers Federalist 59. I go into a lot of other of the of the Federalist papers in part one, two, three, and then we'll do some more in four. Uh, four will be released a little later this summer. But part three, which comes out uh, this week, if you're listening to it, the week of June 28th, part three contains Federalist 59. Now, The language that the general government is going to look at here, not just the 15th Amendment and the Voting Rights Act, but the language of the, of the Constitution, which they will look at, that they believe gives them the power to do this, says this. The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations except as to the places of choosing senators. Now, that supposedly opens the door to the general government getting involved in the federal election, in a federal election or a state election. I mean, right? So it says the legislature's prescribed, not, look, the legislature's prescribed the times, places, and manner of holding elections. Not local county officials, not judges, not governors, but legislatures. Okay? So when when the Justice Department is saying, well, these uh, states are curtailing the power of local officials. Well, guess what? That's because the states have complete control over this stuff, right? So, I mean, this is just ridiculous. But anyways, this idea of somehow the federal government getting involved in elections is based on this. Now, is it is this 
is this constitutional, right? Is this an originalist interpretation? It seems to be. Well, I'll just read the document. I mean, it says this. However, Hamilton makes clear in Federalist 59 a couple of important points. The most important being that this particular part of the Constitution would rarely, if ever, be used. Rarely, if ever, be used. Why? Because it was there for one reason alone. The fear was that if the states had complete control over the election process without any federal oversight, then they could simply refuse to hold elections and the general government would cease to exist. So it was a matter of preservation that this part of the Constitution was added. This, this language in the Constitution was added. It was a matter of preservation for the general government. For the gen- preservation for the general government to have this. Because if the states refuse to hold an election, let's just say, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're, a few states get together. We're not going to hold elections for Congress. And what's going to happen is we're not going to send any congressmen. And so, therefore, there will never be a quorum and no business can get done. Essentially, they are going to destroy the general government by refusing to send anybody to the Congress. Now, that's an odd endorsement of that, of, of that kind of activity. But this was the idea. You simply, the state simply don't send people. And then, of course, the general government ceases to exist. So this was there. The language was there for preservation. It would only be used if the states refuse to hold elections. So the state of Georgia says, we're not holding any more elections for Congress. So the, con- the general government come in and say, no, no, you're going to hold elections. We're going to tell you when you're going to, how you're going to do it, because the state isn't going to hold them. Now, if it holds elections, if the elections are held, then the Congress has no control. Under an originalist interpretation, that's what this was intended to do. If the election is being held, then the Congress has no control over those elections, as long as it doesn't violate the 15th Amendment, the 19th Amendment, and the 26th Amendment, right? Which would be race, sex, or age, 18 or over. As long as the law doesn't violate those, it doesn't say anything about uh, voting ID. Now, of course, you come back and say, well, yeah, what about the Voting Rights Act of 1965? Uh, The Voting Rights Act of 1965 was designed to enforce the 15th Amendment, Okay, I mean, that was the major part of that to ensure that, uh, and of course, poll taxes. You can't have federal poll taxes. I forgot about that one. As long as you don't have a federal poll tax either. Uh, That's by amendment, U.S. Amendment to the Constitution. Um, So we we, we can't have that. But it doesn't say you can't have other requirements for voting. I mean, as long as it doesn't disproportionately affect some group of people and exclusively those group of people, right? So... If you could say, a, uh, for example, a grandfather clause, right? We, we talk about this with uh, when you get to voting restrictions in the late 19th, early 20th century, a grandfather clause. Well, literacy tests and poll taxes would, of course, hurt poor white farmers or poor white Southerners or poor white people, whoever it was, as well. So what they did is they passed grandfather clauses. If your grandfather voted, you were exempt from these things illiterate white people, you were exempt from these things. So the only people that were affected then were essentially black people because their grandfathers had not voted. So they still had to pass the literacy test and the poll tax and all those things. So that would, because of that, because you've now made it to where one group is clearly targeted by that, you've now created a situation that you could clearly say would be a violation of, say, the 15th Amendment, right? But, but, if the 
do do only minority people live in Atlanta? I mean, do I mean those are the only people that live there? So uh, this doesn't it's not saying that it's, it's we're having drop boxes. Anybody can use a drop box. We have election day, not election month, not election year. You got to have an ID to vote. Doesn't say only only certain people only certain people have to have an ID to vote. Everybody's going to have an ID to vote, particularly on mail and ballots. You got to have this thing. It doesn't matter who you are. You got to have it. So even Stacey Abrams, I think, realizes that this isn't. There's nothing really illegal about any of this. But this is the Justice Department trying to gum up the works to get the bill to where it doesn't. It doesn't go into effect before the 2022 election, and the Democrats can allegedly do some suspicious things and maybe win the election again. So this is par for the course. You look at all the things the Democrats do. One of the things that they are very good at is when they lose in the legislature or they lose with the legislature and the executive branch, they just go to the courts. They just tie everything up, and that's how they really legislate. You look at most of what's happened in America, it's been through particularly in the last half of the 20th century, it's been through the courts. The courts expanding bills out and doing things that were never intended, never should have been intended, uh, but the courts are design, or, or actually getting involved in legislating from the bench. This is where we get Raul Berger's government by judiciary. This is where we get this whole idea that the courts are becoming oppressive and abusive because it is the last resort for the Democrats. They can get some federal judge to rule with them, and maybe the Supreme Court, where you only need five people. You don't need a majority of the Congress. You don't need a majority in the state legislature. You just need five people. Five people. That's it. Five politically connected lawyers to agree with you, and then your will becomes law. Not because you got it through the legislative process and you persuaded enough people this is going to be case. No, no. You're going to do it because five judges decided that this is going to be law. That is tyranny. The very definition of it. It's tyranny. It's bypassing real representative, democratic, if you want to use the left term, democratic legislative government. These laws were passed in Georgia by the elected representatives, signed into law by the governor of Georgia. It followed all the proper procedures. This is what the people of Georgia want. But because we've got some judge and, of course, a justice department that might knock it down, we're going to go that route. The Democrats, in the end of the day, really don't believe in democracy or representative government. They only believe in it if it works for them. They don't believe in it otherwise. They're not fundamentally committed to it, because if they were, they wouldn't have challenged these things at all in court. Well, this is the will of the people. The will of the people has spoken. Obama, I won. I know what it means to win. I won. Why are you opposing? Oh, we won. Joe Biden, we won. We won. Why are you blocking all this stuff? They only believe in it because there's 50 people in the Senate that won their states, too, and they're representing their constituents, and because uh, they can, they're going to. They're going to do what their constituents want. The filibuster is a good thing. It is The Senate is designed to put the brakes on the House of Representatives for bad legislation. This is what H.R. 1 is. It's bad legislation. And people like Joe Manchin recognize that. They don't want to lose a filibuster because they know if the Republicans pass something awful too, well, then they could block it as well. So, I mean, it works both ways. It's just right now the Democrats aren't getting their way. So they're pouting and throwing temper tantrums like little children. And they're going to mommy, which is the courts to try to go out and get their will through the court system. We'll see what happens. My prediction is it goes to the Supreme court and the Supreme court upholds the Georgia laws and 
the court packing begins. If the Senate, but see, of course, that's going to involve the Senate. I think the Senate would block it. But the House is going to introduce a bill packing the court once that happens. And Americans are seeing the naked power grab. They're seeing all of it. It's beautiful, really, to watch the Democrats imploding like this. Because what Americans are recognizing is that this is all a grab. This is all a power grab. They're starting to realize what's happened. Now, the committed Democrats don't care. They don't care if anybody recognizes that. But the you know, average American who just, I'm kind of interested in, when they start seeing power grabs, when they start seeing people try to bully their way into things, they don't like it. And this is exactly what's happening. All right, so that's my thoughts on this. Federalist 59, which is in my Originalist Papers 3 class, you're going to want it. I go into that essay in a lot of detail. You're going to want to get it. That releases this week, and I'll have a discount if you're at McClanahan Academy. So you want to get over there to McClanahan Academy and roll free of charge, get the free class, 10 minutes of American history, get the, get the coupons, get the deals. Part four comes out later in the summer. You're going to want all four parts. I'll see you next time with the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.